Hello and welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas, and we are breaking down Manchester United's 1-1 draw with Fulham. Edinson Cavani's Galazzo cancelled out by a 76-minute goal by Joe Bryan. At the end of the day, Chelsea defeating Leicester. It means Manchester United have wrapped up second place in this league season, an improvement from last season's third place finish. Carl, small picture, big picture, how are you feeling? Vivek, I got two words for you. El Matador! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just, I had to, I had to give that shout out, you know, I, I missed it the last time. So, man, that was, that was a goal and a half. The run, heads up play, knowing where the keeper is, putting it in the one place you couldn't get it. Oh, man, there were so many good things. It's fantastic that that was the first goal the crowd witnessed at Old Trafford in God knows how long. That's the best part of it, right? Like, the way Cavani has endeared himself to the United fan base, you could tell that he was in the mood from the beginning. It was like, I'm finally getting this chance to play in front of them. I'm going to make the most of it. And what a way to make his mark. What a goal. I mean, just to describe it, 15th minute, David De Gea, let's credit him throughout this match. His ball distribution was excellent. And this was a play where he's looking for Bruno Fernandez around the halfway line. Fernandez goes for a slick flick behind his back. Doesn't make contact. <laughs> we can get into the VAR. Whether it, should, <laughs> whether it should have been a goal or not. Thankfully, they let it play on. Cavani runs onto it. Takes one look up. Sees Ariola off his line. And perfectly chips it over the keeper into the net. And it had the perfect pace on it too. It wasn't like a dinked chip or anything like that. It had proper pace on it. That's what made it so difficult. And that was what made it so impressive. I said small picture, big picture. He's been a huge part of cementing second place in the league. Big picture, you think about what our our hopes were for him when he signed with the club. He has exceeded them by a mile. I remember Vivek, and it's almost like you, uh, you're inside my head right now because I was just going to bring up what we discussed at the beginning of the season. We said, we both discussed, what would success look like for this last-minute Cavani signing? And I believe both of us agreed, hey, if he can get us 10 goals this season, that's success. Well, he got us more than 10 goals. He did it in the league alone. <laughs> yes, just in the league alone. And you, you talk about how... Without that Cavani signing and Martial going down, that would have been a huge gap to fill. Mm -hmm. And let's not forget, we made the same mistake a couple of seasons ago when we sold Lukaku. We didn't replace him. Alexis Sanchez then left the club on loan. So we had a huge gaping hole and we paid for it until we got that last minute Igalo signing in the winter transfer window where he then helped us out a little bit. But at least we learned our mistake and, and we got someone in. I know the fans were saying, hey, this is last minute. It reeks of desperation. Well, at least this time, there was some scouting done where we were able to get someone with class. Staying on this Cavani page, 
let's get into a bigger picture, Carl, because very recently there were reports that Harry Kane has requested a transfer from Tottenham Hotspur. And we'll have to see how it plays out over the summer because obviously we know the financial constraints that many clubs are facing because of the pandemic. Teams like Barcelona, Real Madrid, it's going to be very difficult for them to do anything. Juventus are along the same lines to see if they even have Champions League football to offer. You look at his desire to stay in England, it looks like it'll pretty much come down to Manchester City and Manchester United because... We know the rivalry and the politics of a potential Chelsea-Tottenham transfer. Good point, Vivek. This is a a, a really t- tricky one. And I, I do believe that the signing of Cavani kind of eliminates our chances of getting a top, top striker. It almost looks like United have said, hey, we've got a couple of voids to fill. We have someone who's proven that they can do the business, getting at least 10 goals in the league. Let's prioritize elsewhere. We've discussed in the past, where are our holes? Striker, right wing, CDM, center back, and then right back, a backup for a one Bissaka. Those are the five priorities that we've discussed. Now with this Cavani re-signing, it, it lowers the priority of getting a striker in the club now. Let's be honest, the, the pandemic has taken a toll on our finances. We're not making the profits that we once were. There's no crowds coming in. We're missing on ticket sales, match day revenue, merchandise, etc., etc. So with the limited budget, we got to figure out where we want to go. All these signings, I just did some quick math here. If you wanted to sign Harry Kane, you're looking at at least 120 million pounds, maybe 150. Jaden Sancho, from reports, his price has come down a bit. You're looking at 80. Okay, that's already 200 million. You've got a center back. For a good center back, you're probably looking in the region of 60 million. And then you've got a CDM that you really want. If you want a good one, they're throwing out numbers like 80 million for Declan Rice. So just so that you guys know where I'm going, my math's already up to 340 million pounds. And then if you want a decent right back, you're looking at another 30 million. That's 370 million pounds. But hey, this is also a different era now where the Glazers have some making up to do after the Super League fiasco. So I think that's going to play an interesting factor in terms of how much they allow the club to spend to try and appease the fans a little bit get them to maybe back off a little bit with the protests and that type of thing. I think that's going to be an interesting variable. And, you know, looking at your numbers, I would say that if you take Kane out of that mix, right, already you're down to about 200 million, right? Yeah, 250, yeah. Then again, now it comes down to prioritizing within that priority list. And so if the striker option is not number one, what is number one? Is it the right wing? Is it the center back? Is it the CDM? I would argue it probably is the CDM because I think that unlocks so much more. And then maybe having re-signed Eric Bailly, you maybe can talk your way into saying, okay, maybe you can get through another season of Lindelof and Bailly and Twanzebe. Maybe he improves next season as well. 
with a bit of experience that he's gained this season. So you say, hey, that right wing, Jaden Sancho, that would be a huge, huge get. To you, does there have to be, put aside, you know, the positional demand, does there have to be that one standout superstar signing? 100% yes. And, and you know what? It all depends on who you classify as a superstar. I would classify Sancho or Declan Rice as a superstar, in my mind. You know, from all of this analysis that we're doing, Vivek, I've realized the linchpin, the key to all of this is Jesse Lingard. Because <laughs> <laughs> you think about it. If Jesse Lingard is involved in a swap deal or with Declan Rice, that 80 million price tag is now dropped to 50, which sounds a lot more affordable. Yeah, I'm valuing Jesse Lingard at 30 million just because of what he did uh, from January to now. No, I think that's a fair price. So you look at that, 50 million for Declan Rice. I believe that United probably have about 150 million that they can spend, a maximum net spend. I don't think they can go past that. So you're what you're saying about striker automatically rule that out. There's no striker you're getting for uh, half that price. I mean, the only one that I've seen that it's a complete complete wild card is Silva, the Portuguese striker who used to play for AC Milan, and I believe he's now in the Bundesliga. That's just a that's a, a wild card that I'm throwing out there. But you get Sancho and Declan Rice in. I think the fans can live with that. I think you've now given them a pacifier <laughs> to you got the benefit of the doubt for the first half of the season. And then the pressure transfers onto Ole to see what he can do with that. And please, please do the business early. None of this uh, last last minute deadline day, okay. You know, now now we can get it done. None of this waiting to, you know, have all the finances reported and get all the dividends in, cheap out on that. No, just go get the business done. Go get the player. The question I wanted to ask you was, you mentioned that Jaden Sancho's price has come down potentially around 80 million. Do you think Declan Rice will actually be that expensive then? Do you think, like, I, I struggle to see how both of them would be in that 80 million range, especially considering that West Ham... Now we know they're not going to see Champions League football. Vivek, you make a good point. However, I will say this. like, How many good CDM midfielders do you see out there where literally your formation hinges on that? Where you can go from two CDMs to one. If I'm West Ham, I'm just literally saying like, hey, we know what's going to happen. You get Declan Rice, you play one CDM, and then you can score that many more goals up front. That's worth a lot of money. I agree with you. I agree with you. I just don't think the way football transfers work, defensive players get as much value. And so when you look at the attacking talent of a Jaden Sancho, just in general, attacking talent always costs more. And so I think that's where if we're pricing Jaden at 80, I would think there's at least, you know, a 10, 15 million drop off to a Declan Rice. And I'm, and this is not in any way trying to disrespect Declan Rice's talent or what his skill level is. I just think in terms of the way positions are valued, you're talking about a right wing player and you're talking about a CDM. Yeah, you make a good point. I mean, the fact that they've both got that English tax on them, so that uh, cancels each other out. And 
I'm I'm thinking back. You look at Angola Conte when he went from Leicester to Chelsea. I think he went for about thirty million. So it's a good point, Vivek. So yeah, even in Declan going at sixty and Jaden at eighty, that's close to your one fifty mark that we're talking about, right? So yeah. exactly, and I think to bring it full circle, if someone asked me, "Hey, would you rather have Harry Kane at one fifty million?" Or Declan Rice and Jaden Sancho at at around that same price range. I'm taking Sancho and Rice all day. No brainer. No brainer. Good point. Now moving on, you know we're not going to do too much of a match analysis here. As we said, you know the, the season, the league season is pretty much in the books. And United, you know, in terms of what they have to play for, there really isn't much. I want to get into a little bit of a David De Gea conversation. 61st minute, he pulls off to me an outstanding save where the ball's on the left side. He's fully expecting a cross. And I'm pretty sure Lukman is trying to actually cross it, mishits it. But he mishits it with power. And it looks like it's going into the top corner at De Gea's near post. We know about De Gea's reflex actions. He's able to get his right hand up, pulls off an amazing save. Then there's a header that comes in off the rebound. He's able to get down to the ground to his left now and save that. That was vintage. That's cat-like reflexes. Uh, I mean, that, that was an outstanding save that didn't get the credit it deserved. I think the commentator made a comment, hey, yeah, you know what? If that went in, you wouldn't expect him to save that. Man, you got to give him a little bit more credit than that. That was outstanding because he's, you got to imagine the keeper. He's on the ground trying to cover the near post uh, by his feet. And so for him to get it at his head or above his head near the, the crossbar is outstanding. And then to follow it up, I mean, we all know that David, David De Gea, his reflexes are one of the best in, in the world. I don't think Dean Henderson's making that save. No, I don't think so. And this is kind of the conversation that I want to get to is thinking about the long-term future of the club and getting back to consistently challenging for the title. You need that elite goalkeeper. For me, I have seen nothing that separates Dean Henderson from David De Gea at this level where David De Gea, you know, let's face it, even though he's able to pull off these vintage saves from time to time over the course of the season, he's not been at his best. He's not been at his absolute peak, which was a top three goalkeeper in the world. But, the, but what I will say is when David De Gea was first at the club, you could see the characteristics that he could one day develop into a truly elite goalkeeper. I quite frankly don't see that with Dean Henderson. I don't see uh, his ceiling as a top three goalkeeper in the world. And so when I evaluate him and the future of the club, I'm not saying that David De Gea should be the number one. I'm saying I don't think either is actually the long-term option for this club. To be honest, if, I, if I'm being honest, I don't think I've seen enough of Dean Henderson to make that call just yet. I think one thing that I, I will give Dean Henderson credit for is his distribution out from the back and he's not afraid to come out for balls i think that's very important in the premier league you've seen that with ederson 
and how he's able to change games because of that. David De Gea, you know what? This whole situation reminds me of the Luke Shaw, uh, Alex Teller situation that we had early in the season, where Luke Shaw had some things to improve positionally, running up with the ball, his crossing, his assists, all of those things, check, check, check. So now, if Dean Henderson can bring that out of David De Gea, small sample size now, because we saw what happened today. You mentioned already that David De Gea's distribution was fantastic today. If we can see more of that, where his distribution is is up there with these cat-like reflexes, then I think we're going back to a, a no-brainer David De Gea number one at the club, aren't we? <laughs> I mean, I would love to see it. Someone who's been a legend of the club, and we talk about the fans being back. It was great to hear them singing the songs. It was great to hear them sing about David De Gea. So... I'm glad that that appreciation is there for him because online you see a lot of people ready to jump on David De Gea anytime there is a mistake made. So I loved seeing that appreciation for him. I would love nothing more than for David De Gea to rise back to the levels that he's been at before. And frankly, uh, keepers in general have a long shelf life. So I, I wouldn't rule out a possible return to that level. From Dean Henderson's side, I just don't see the shot stopping getting to that level. Maybe I'm being harsh, but maybe some of that is also me considering the fact that in all my years watching footy, I can't remember the last time an English goalkeeper was a top three keeper in the world. <laughs> I think I think uh, a slight uh, bias there from Mr. Vivek, but I... Name one. Name one. David Seaman? Top three in the world? Okay, not top three. All right. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, fair enough. Dean Henderson could be that. And you think about the keepers that have won titles at United. You think about Schmeichel. You think about Van der Sar. You think about where David De Gea was at his peak. You know, and and to your point, Vivek, that's the level you need. You you say like uh, goalkeepers are slightly late bloomers compared to other players. David de Gea is entering his prime time right now. You look at Edwin Edwin Van der Sar came to us. We thought he was past it because we signed him pretty late in his career, and he was amazing. So for those who don't know, Van der Sar's career is actually a little bit perplexing. And I think this his, his career is actually a reflection. I don't know if the same applies now, but there, it shows how harshly goalkeepers can be judged. And basically, Van der Sar started at Ajax. He went to a Champions League final with them. Really impressed. Played that Champions League final against Juventus. They lost that match. You've, he impressed Juventus, so Juventus signed him. He's doing really well there. And then Juventus go and sign Juan Luigi Buffon for what was then a world record fee. Mm -hmm. That season that Juventus signed Buffon, Van der Sar made one blunder that cost them the Serie A title. They, They lost the Serie A by two points that season. And they went and got Buffon, but for whatever reason, Van der Sar was dismissed. This was also a period in which the Dutch lost three penalty shootouts in a row. 
Euro 96, World Cup 98, and Euro 2000. And he was the keeper in all of them. So then he ends up at Fulham for £7 million for four seasons. You think about in that sort of 2001 to 2005 stretch, some of the keepers that United had between Bosnich and Barthez and Roy Carroll, uh, Tim Howard. Yeah. Exactly, right? Yeah. And then finally United go and get Van der Sar in 2005 for what was reported 2 million pounds. I mean, I don't know if there's ever been a more underrated keeper. Forget about underrated keeper, man. That, that's got to be an, one of the most underrated signings <laughs> at United for sure. So, yeah, when when you look at the history of United, obviously we're going to talk about players like Eric Cantona and Ruud van Nistelrooy and Roy Keane and Paul Scholes and David Beckham and Ryan Giggs and the list goes on and on and on. But the big part of that, the pillars involved in that started at the back. And you look at those names, Schmeichel, Van der Sar, De Gea. Those are three goalkeepers who were absolutely at the top of the game that allowed United to be what they were. Now, Vivek, speaking of at the back, if I if I just bring it back to this Fulham game for a second, mm-hmm. and this is with the Europa final in mind, mm-hmm. there's a worrying trend of goals being conceded at the far post. Leicester did that with their, you know, really young left back and Luke Thomas scoring a, a, a worldie. And then you see today, Brian scoring a basically open header. I mean, hey, RB Leipzig did it way, way earlier in dumping us out of the Champions League. Yes, absolutely. And, and you best believe the tactician that Unai Emery is, he's probably taken note of that. And and don't be surprised if you get a lot of switches in play from the right-hand side to the left-hand side to try and catch United out, especially if Mason Greenwood's playing right wing because you know he's got that attacking mindset so he's not necessarily going to come back all the way inside his own box to defend across and and breaking down this goal that united conceded in the 80 in the 76th minute it started off in the middle of the field where luke shaw unnecessarily came in field to try and close down the space which opened up the right wing because there's a ball play through to him uh through his legs actually to the right wing and, and he essentially double teamed when there was no need to because Axel Twanzebe was right there. Axel Twanzebe is right there and you have def- two defensive midfielders for that reason. So you've basically offset the whole formation now. Now you've got, at first, it looks like Ving- Victor Lindelof, why are you marking space when nobody's there? But upon further review, you can see Lookman making that run or faking to make that run to the near post. So somebody's got to cover that off. Okay, so Victor Lindelof tucks in, moves further to the uh, David De Gea's left-hand post or the near post. And then Aaron Wan-Bissaka needs to have the presence of mind to understand what he's doing, the space he's marking, where the danger lies. He failed to do that. 
and you see Brian coming from the, the, the far post with an open header. Aaron Wan-Bissaka needs to do better there. I think that one of the reasons, because I, I was baffled to understand why he does not get selected for the England squad, especially since the right-backs that England do possess aren't the best defensively. They have positional weaknesses. And apart from Aaron Wan-Bissaka's one-on-one defending that gets him out a lot of jams, I think this is something he needs to work on ASAP. Because come that Europa League final, just like you mentioned in the Champions League when we conceded those two goals, we'll get caught out. Yeah, I think it's all well said, really good points that you've made, Carl. And we actually said this a little bit about Brandon Williams in terms of recognizing where the danger is coming from. And that's something that Aaron Wan-Bissaka needs to do better as well. Obviously, we know how well he defends on the ground. You're not getting past those legs. But aerially recognizing where uh, the threats are coming from, what spaces on the field that he needs to take up, that's something that definitely needs to improve. If it were up to me, if I were Southgate, I would I would still have him uh, for the Euros just because I think he's a different type of right back. Because when you think about the options for England, they're all very similar, right? Trent Alexander-Arnold, Kyle Walker, Reese James, uh, Reese James, Trippier. It's it's a, they're all similar types, right? So if you want someone a bit different, I mean, hey, if you get into a situation where you're defending a one-goal lead against France and you can bring on an Aaron Wan-Bissaka on that right side to help against Kylian Mbappe, that'd be a great option to have, right? I couldn't agree more. You, you've got to have diversity to make sure you have a plan B. When you're playing in international football, I don't think you can have that mantra of, hey, let's just do plan A better. <laughs> don't think there's much left to uh, break down here. So why don't we quickly hand out some awards? The Cantona Caller, I think quick and easy. You score a goal like that, <laughs> Edinson Cavani. Takes it home pretty easy for me. El Matador, no question. Let's move on. Beckham boot. <laughs> Going back to the 38th minute and just how disjointed United were on the goal conceded, I wanted to give it to Victor Lindelof because the 38th minute, he was made to look like a fool. There was a chance that just frankly just should never have happened. You've got an 18-year-old kid in uh, Fabio Carvalho tearing you apart and it was just lucky that he shot right at David De Gea and so I thought that was really disappointing because with Harry Maguire out you want to see the most experienced campaigner step up to the challenge and really lead the line and we haven't seen that so far so is your pick then Lindelof yes because ultimately when I look at the match as a whole I was once again encouraged by what Aaron Wan-Bissaka did from an attacking standpoint so, yes, absolutely, he was at fault for that goal. But when I look at the progress that he's making offensively, I think overall he did have a good game. I, I can get on board with that. You know, we can't we can't just isolate one aspect of the game. you got to take the whole game. I do agree, especially at the back. 
you are the senior most defender in Victor Lindelof because you've got Axel Twanzebe and Aaron on the other side. You've got to do better. You've got to communicate better. You've got to lead the line better. That is the expectation at Manchester United when you are a center back. I don't think he, he's done that. And I don't think he should be allowed to do that going forward. They're the minimum expectations. And you're not fulfilling a Manchester United defender. That's more like a Tottenham defender. <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait for some uh, feedback on that comment. <laughs> Finally, the noisy neighbor. I think it was kind of a toss-up for me between Lukman and Anguissa. I think Lukman was... If there was someone that did present uh, a threat when Fulham did have those limited opportunities, it was Lukman that was very involved. Anguissa, I think, did a very solid job. So between either of them, I, I don't really have a pick. Do you? So I have a wildcard pick for the Noisy Neighbor, and it's their center back, Tosin. Mm. Every single time we had a set piece, a corner, he seemed to be getting his head on it. And he, he seemed to head it away, uh, just eliminating the danger. And in some cases, the header went to his own player where they could start a break. That's kind of how that Carvalho chance started uh, in the 30th yeah. minute that you were talking about. So that was someone who impressed me. Hey, Tosin, I, th- I think uh, that's a fair shout as well. Uh, it's good to call that up. And yeah, obviously, you look at United on the whole, a few chances, obviously the Cavani goal, which possibly could not have been counted. You had the Bruno free kick. You had a Greenwood chance that he shot straight at the keeper. But outside of that, they did a pretty solid job. So when you think about the fact that United would have been buzzing to be at Old Trafford with the fans again, saying, hey, let's put on a show to limit United to one goal that potentially could have been called offside, you have to credit the defense. And Tosin definitely stood out. So uh, I I think that's a good call. Let's give it to him. Quickly, looking at this Wolves match now with... Second place in the bag. I think Solskjaer is going to put everyone in cotton wool and make sure they're ready to go for that Europa final. The last thing you want is one of the big boys picking up an injury in a meaningless, completely meaningless fixture now and not being available for the Europa final. I agree with you, except for one person. I won't be surprised if David De Gea starts the game. I just want him to get some repetitions in just so that he's super sharp and ready to go for the Europa League final. That's the only thing I'll say because, I mean, if if it's not obvious by now, I want him to start the Europa League final. And Yeah, we're on the same page there. Definitely starting the Europa final. It's going to be interesting because then that, that means that Liverpool fixture would have been Henderson's last of the season, which I don't know if he wants to finish on that sour note. Yeah, you make a good point. He he hasn't played in a bit, so you could easily see Henderson coming in. I mean, this is a fantastic opportunity to basically see all our youngsters. I hope Shoretire gets a gets a game. Ahmed Diallo, man, he looked really good. I would love to see him again. And then once again, Mason Greenwood leading the line. I don't want Rashford to play. So and it looks like Dan James is injured. So that's why he's not been getting any game time either. 
So I'd be, I'd be interested to see. I mean, probably Donny van der Beek on the left-hand side. I put together a lineup. I'll go through it. You tell me where your points of disagreement come, okay? So in net, I've got Dean Henderson. The back four, I've got Brandon Williams, Axel Twanzebe, Eric Bailly, and Alex Tellez. The two CDMs, I've got Nemanja Matic and Donny van de Beek. The three in front of them, I've got Ahmad Diallo, Juan Mata. Marcus Rashford, I think, will play about a half. And then Mason Greenwood up top. So you don't have Alangana playing? I think you'll have uh, him and Shortiere maybe coming on at halftime or whatever it may be. I can get on board with that. Yeah, I, I don't see any issues with that squad. The only thing is then, is Greenwood not going to play in the Europa League final? I don't think he starts. Because I think with, with that one, for sure, we're going to see Bruno in the middle, Pogba on the left, Rashford on the right, Cavani up top. So, So basically what you're saying, Vivek, is if you get selected to play against Wolves, you should be pretty disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, unless Solskjaer buys into your theory with David De Gea, where he's saying, hey, let's just get him the match time and make sure he's absolutely ready for that Europa final. Yeah, and, and if the players have any sense, they should go all out to prove themselves because if United needs some uh, extra energy... If they're down in the final, one of these blokes might get a, get the call because they did so well. Carl, to wrap up, there's this three quick names I want to shout out. As expected, Roy Keane and Eric Cantona were formally elected to the Premier League Hall of Fame. We, we know there'll be a few more Manchester United names to come in the future. But I think for now, for them to be the first two United players to go in uh, is a special occasion. They'll join Thierry Henry and Alan Shearer. And we have to shout out Bruno Fernandes. We've barely mentioned him uh, in this podcast, but he picked up the Manchester United Player of the Year once again. Back to back for him. And so those three names I just wanted to shout out and... uh, Give all the respect in the world to. Absolutely. Justly deserved. Made a huge impact on the club throughout the different eras, as you mentioned. And uh, Eric Cantona, for sure, one of the signings of the century. (laughs) That's going to wrap it up for this episode. A reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at RedCouchManx. If you enjoy the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and join us after every match. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl and myself, thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.